for your word. We thank you, as the author of Hebrews points out, that your, your word is living and active. It's not just a collection of sayings, a, con- a collection of good uh, words or philosophies, but Lord, it is living and active. It cuts us to the deepest level that, we can, that can be accessed. It can only act, be accessed by you because the deepest level of us is our souls. Lord, we thank you for saving our souls. We thank you for giving us your word which soothes our souls, which brings comfort, challenge, conviction to our souls. Lord, we thank you that it does all of this because it is you who breathed it out. And so, Lord, I pray your blessing upon our time this morning that your word would go forth, lives would be touched, and lives would be changed. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This past December, uh, the, the latest Star Wars movie came out, Star Wars Episode Eight. I haven't seen it yet, so nobody come up to me afterwards and say, oh, this is what you missed in it. I really enjoyed Rogue One and the, uh, Star Wars Episode Seven. See, a lot of you here got the originals when they first came out. Episodes four through six with Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and Darth Vader and the greatest cinematic reveal of all time with the famous line, Luke, I am your father. They had great storylines with all the special effects the 70s and 80s had to offer. Once Disney took over the Star Wars franchise, now this next generation gets good Star Wars movies being made again. You know what my generation got when it came to Star Wars movies? This guy. (laughs) That's what my generation got. A lot of fans want to forget this guy, Jar Jar Binks, and even wish episodes one through three weren't even made don't even exist. But if you notice in a lot of the movie series, especially with episodes one through three, the producers have to make some kind of changes in the characters' appearances from one movie to the next. For instance, in episode one, this is how the producers made young Obi-Wan Kenobi, played by Ewan McGregor. Looks kind of dumb here, doesn't he? Then to differentiate him in the following movies and to make him look older and cooler and more experienced, they gave him this cool-looking beard in the the following movies here. This also sets up for the understanding that Obi-Wan Kenobi also has this beard throughout, you know, in the older movies. It's been proposed that ten years have passed in between Star Wars episodes one and two, so ten years in between this and this and the timeline. Hence the introduction of the beard for Obi-Wan Kenobi and something that will last through the rest of the movies that character is featured in. Now you might wonder where in the world I'm going with this. Here's my whole point. Generally, when a movie in a series is supposed to take place after a preceding one, it opens up with this understanding that it's built upon whatever happened in the preceding movie. Those who see both the first 
and the follow-up movie see the difference in the appearance of the characters between the preceding movie and the follow-up movie, like the introduction of a new characteristic beard, for instance. Those who don't see the first but jump right into the follow-up movie don't notice things like that, nor do they understand that, uh, what's being built on in the follow-up movie, and they generally have a harder time understanding the whole plot in the follow-up movie. Today we're starting our new series in 2 Thessalonians. What in this second letter from Paul to the Thessalonian church is built upon what's said in the first letter? How much time has passed in between the writing of each of these letters? What's happened in between the writing of the two letters? What wouldn't we fully understand in the second letter, in this follow-up letter, had we not previously explored the first letter? And how does this all affect the messages found in the second letter that Paul writes to the Thessalonian church? The first point that we come to is the atmosphere as we start uh, the letter of 2 Thessalonians. We all know that in some situations and in dealing with some people, a lot can change. And that's what we're talking about here, the environment that the church is in now. What's going on in the church that Paul is, is writing into. Things may be resolved. Things may get a lot worse in time. However, we also all know that in some situations and dealing with certain people, very little changes over time, doesn't it? It depends on the person and it depends on the situation. That latter observation of things not changing very much can be aptly applied to the situation and people who made up the church in Thessalonica at the time Paul is writing this second letter to them. As you read through both letters and see what topics Paul has to teach on again, you can see that not much has changed since Paul's last letter to them. Biblical scholars assert that 2 Thessalonians was written within a very short period of time between the writing of 1 Thessalonians, within 6 to 12 months after 1 Thessalonians was written. That would put the writing of 2 Thessalonians around the year uh, 51 to 52 AD. The story goes like this. This map should look familiar to you. What most likely happened was that after Paul had to flee Thessalonica suddenly, and if you're trying to find it on here, here we are, right over here. There's Thessalonica. After Paul had to flee Thessalonica suddenly, he eventually his, made his way down to Corinth. You see all the way down here. He eventually made his way down to Corinth, where he resided with, Jewish, with a Jewish Christian couple named Aquila and Priscilla. You might have heard those names before. Before he got to Corinth, Paul had sent his protege, Pastor Timothy, back up to Thessalonica to check up on the church there and see how everyone was doing. Paul, knowing full well the reason he was driven out of Thessalonica was because of impending persecution, knew that the Thessalonian believers he left behind were suffering under the persecution he fled from. Worried about their well-being in the midst of that persecution, Paul sends Timothy to see how they were doing. When Timothy returns to Paul in Corinth, he returns with an incredibly encouraging message for Paul. Not only is the Thessalonian church surviving 
It's thriving. There are some theological and pastoral corrections that need to be made with the church, though. So Paul takes the opportunity to write his first letter to them. What we have today is the New Testament book of of 1 Thessalonians. To encourage them further in their faith in the midst of persecution, as well as correct some of these theological errors, mostly stemming from an incomplete understanding of biblical end times events. Paul wrote the last word and punctuation mark in that letter and then sent it with a messenger up to Thessalonica. We don't know exactly who this messenger was, but there's a good chance it was Timothy again, along with Silas this time. While Paul remained in Corinth, as 1 Thessalonians is being delivered back up to Thessalonica, we read in Acts chapter 18, verse 5, but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia. So Timothy and Silas bring Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians where it was to be read out loud to everyone in the church. Apparently, Timothy and Silas observe what kind of effect the letter has had on the Thessalonian believers and what kind of effect it hasn't had on the believers, took note of more questions the Thessalonians had, and then returned back to Corinth with all of that information. Evidently, Paul's first letter did not have the full effect he intended. Imagine that. It did not have the full effect that he intended. And also raised more questions. So Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, wrote a follow-up letter to the Thessalonians. That's why in the second uh, letter, we'll see Paul touching on some of the broad topics he addressed in his first letter. As such, Paul's uh, Paul's second letter uh, sounds very much like the first. So what are the first words Paul writes to the Thessalonians this time? So we looked at the atmosphere. What the story was that led up to Paul writing this second letter to the Thessalonians. And secondly, we're going to talk about the authority. In verses 1 through 2, in the second letter of Thessalonians, we read Paul and Silvanus. And who is that again? Silas. Because next we have Antimothy. To the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you go back and flip back and forth, you can do that if you want to. Go back to 1 Thessalonians, the very beginning of 1 Thessalonians, and flip back and forth between the first verse in 1 Thessalonians and the first two verses in 2 Thessalonians, and you'll notice something interesting. You'll notice that the first few words in each letter are what? They're exactly the same. Exactly. Verse 2 in his second letter is very similar to the second part of verse 1 in his first letter, but Paul adds a little something to the opening of 2 Thessalonians. You'll see that 1 Thessalonians 1.1 says Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. But then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, he says, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace 
from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see how he adds that in 2 Thessalonians? You might say, so what? He's just saying the same thing there. Here's where knowing the condition of the Thessalonian church and what hasn't changed comes in handy. Paul had previously told the Thessalonians about the rapture and Jesus' role in that, and we covered that extensively. We know that in order for the Thessalonians to have been Christians in the first place, they needed to have repented of their sin, and they needed to have recognized Jesus as their Savior from, their, from that sin and King over their lives. But judging from what we read in 2 Thessalonians, I don't think the Thessalonians truly understood how much Jesus' kingship was going to play a role in end times events. See, God made salvation through Jesus so easy to understand that a child can understand it. But one does not necessarily see the extent of Jesus' kingship or power that he truly has over the eternal destination of souls and, and, and at that point. Paul will bring out the height of authority and power of Jesus' kingship further on in this letter when he says, For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at all who have believed. That's a much, like I referenced before, that's a much different picture of Jesus than we might be perhaps used to in Sunday school, isn't it? That of a kindly man holding a lamb and telling Bible stories to kids. That's, that's the point Paul is making. That of learning about and recognizing all of Jesus and all that he is. Yes, his humility. Yes, his love. Yes, his kindness. Yes, his sacrifice and his resurrection, his resurrection and his second coming, his judgment and his authority to destroy. The warrior aspects of Jesus are necessary because of what Paul has already said. For after all, it is only just for a perfectly just God for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. In order for God to be a perfectly just God, he must mete out judgment. He must repay evil. Because of the need for Paul to write these words to the Thessalonian church, the Thessalonians must not have had a full understanding of Jesus' authority in this way, of Jesus' authority as king. We will see how some of the Thessalonians think that the persecution they are experiencing is proof that Jesus is not as powerful as they hoped he would be, or else he would stop it. From a human standpoint, especially in the midst of that persecution, Put yourself in their shoes. 
from a human standpoint, that's a perfectly legitimate concern, isn't it? If Jesus is really king and really has the authority of a king over the universe, why is he not stopping this persecution on me and my family right now? But as Paul will explain, Jesus is not weak. Jesus is not uncaring. Jesus will have his recompense over the evil the Thessalonians are experiencing through persecution. But when he returns, it will happen in his timing the way that he's going to do it when he returns. And at that point, the whole world will know his power at that point. The Thessalonians can take heart in that knowledge. As such, Paul connects Jesus' power and authority to his greeting as he greets the Thessalonian church for the second time. That theme will carry throughout the rest of this letter. So he says in in verse 2 of chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians, grace and peace to you not only from God the Father, which I know full well you know the authority of, but also from the Lord Jesus Christ, who has the same authority as the Father and who is one with the Father and has the same power as the Father. And he will judge evil. So we talked about the atmosphere, we talked about the authority, the full kingship of Jesus that Paul is just hinting at here in his greeting. And he will expand upon in the rest of this letter. And thirdly, we're talking about the advancement. Paul starts out this letter very similarly to how he starts out his first letter, with encouragement. Paul started out his first letter to the church with encouragement, and he starts out the second letter to the church with the exact same way, with encouragement. The persecution didn't stop when the first letter was read. It was still continuing. It was still going on. Even as Paul got word back from Timothy about the state of the church, even as Paul pondered and let the Holy Spirit guide what he wrote back to them in a second letter, and even as the letter got delivered back up to them, the persecution was still going on. The believers still needed to be encouraged by Paul before they would even think to hear any correction from him. So in verses 3 through 4 we read, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each of you toward one another grows even greater. Therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. We see three aspects of the Thessalonians' spiritual growth here. Faith, love, and perseverance. You guys see that? Three areas of growth in the Thessalonians' spiritual lives, and that are their faith, love, and perseverance. The Thessalonians' faith is, as the NASB puts it, greatly enlarged. But that translation doesn't give the full meaning of the growth of the Thessalonians' faith, though. The word used for greatly enlarged comes from two Greek words, hooper and oxano. Hooper means uh, above and beyond, 
and auxano means growth. Hooper means above and beyond, and auxano means growth. In other words, the combination of these two words, as has been noted by a biblical scholar, means to increase above ordinary degree. To increase above ordinary degree. To give us a better idea of what's being captured here, Hooper is, a, is, is connected to the same meaning as the English word hyper has. So if somebody is hyper-conservative or hyper-liberal, there's someone who goes beyond the normal understanding of what a conservative or liberal is. They take everything one step further, above and beyond the ordinary degree. Not only that, but this is the only time this word, the combination of these two Greek words, is used in the New Testament. In, the, in this verse, this is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. So to apply this meaning to the Thessalonians' faith, growth, is a tremendous observation, is it not? The Thessalonians' level of faith has grown so radically that it surpassed anything Paul has seen before in the early church. That's huge. It wasn't normal. It wasn't how everybody, even in Christ, was. And that was a good thing. I'm going to skip ahead to Paul's notice of the Thessalonians' growth and perseverance next. Other synonyms for perseverance are steadfastness, constancy, and patient endurance. These people were rooted in their salvation. They were rooted. The persecution itself was not pushing them away from God. They knew who their God was and knew that any loss they faced would not compare to the future glory of eternity they knew they already had. That seems unheard of in this day, doesn't it? It seems like the default reaction to any sort of misunderstanding, pain, or discomfort of our faith is what? Running away. The knee-jerk reaction is to throw up our hands and cut ties. But what if the response was instead of running away, to dig in? What if that was the response? Instead of running away, to dig in? What if the best response to persecution, even the slightest doubt in faith, was not to give up and follow the path of least resistance, but to dig deeper into God's word, see what it really says about things, and have the quiet resolve to know that God has, is, and will always be in control, no matter the situation. A lot of people will try church out, and at the slightest difficulty or doubt, jump ship. But what if, instead of just giving up, those who try church out dig their feet in and make the strong decision to learn as much about God and His Word as they can? That takes patience. That takes work. It takes a growing faith that goes deeper and deeper in relationship with Almighty God. See, Christianity is not just going to church. It's not just following a bunch of rules or observing things. 
It's not fulfilling rituals or trying to follow all the sacraments. It's not even about trying to be a good person. It's about a growing and living relationship with the creator of the universe opened up for us through the death and resurrection of the second person of the Godhead named Jesus. It's about a deeper and deeper connection, not just with divine power, but the one who embodies that power, the one who is the source of that power. It's about experiencing the redemption, healing, transformation, and growth from the one who himself is the very definition of goodness mercy, truth, holiness, justice, and love. See, the Thessalonians got that. They understood it. They didn't even have this, a slight discomfort. They were faced with a raging onslaught of intense persecution. They had every reason to throw up their hands and to give it all yet up. And yet, they remained dug in. They remained Rooted. In fact, their faith grew and thrived. Lastly, Paul applauds the Thessalonians' love for each other. How does he describe it? He describes it that it grows ever greater or it abounds, depending on your translation. The Greek word used for abounds literally means super abound. It doesn't just mean to abound. It means to superabound. It has the meaning of, of over and above that of a drink filling up a cup so much that it spills over. Again, similar to their faith, it carries with it this idea of going beyond normal. When we love with human limitations, love can end. It can give up. It can walk away. So how does one have love that goes beyond normal? Where does that love come from? It can only come from God. It can only come from God giving it to us. As a reminder, what's the first fruit of the Spirit, that which the Holy Spirit works in us to levels that can only be described as beyond normal? The very first one, love. We even only know what love really is because of what God himself has shown to us. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. He's the very definition of love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. We love. We even understand what love is because he first loved us. He first showed us what real love is is. That is what true love really looks like. That right there. It is the love that God has shown to us. Therefore, true love never gives up. True love never walks away. True love never says this is too hard. It says, God will give me the strength to love. God will give me the strength to love. It says, I can love with the eternal love that God gives to me. It says, just as God has never given up on me, I will never give up on you. And notice what love Paul is commending the Thessalonians for. 
He's not commending them for romantic love. He's commending them for love for each other in the church. That's what he's commending them for. A lot of time, that does take that love beyond normal. Sometimes, in different situations, it only can be the love of God that keeps believers together. And that's what makes the church so special. We don't love with human love and human limitations. We love and can only love with God's unsurpassing, eternal, and never-ending love, no matter who it is and no matter what the situation is. Intense situations, especially with our spiritual brothers and sisters, we must always ask ourselves the question, am I trying to love through my own strength right now? Or am I loving with the eternal love that God has shown to me? Am I loving with the eternal love that God has shown to me? That will very often cause us to stop. Take a step back. Take a deep breath. And look at things through Jesus' eyes and not our own. Then in every situation, we too will be like the Thessalonians who were following Paul, who was following Jesus, and show and be known for love that's beyond normal. Now, how was any of this possible for the Thessalonians? What was the practical source for all of this growth of faith, love, and perseverance? Paul points out clearly in verse 4, and I want you to see this with me. In the midst of all your persecution and afflictions which you, were, which you endure. See, all this growth wasn't happening in a vacuum. And all of this growth wasn't happening in happy, easy times. It was happening in and because of and through all the persecution and afflictions which they were enduring. As we talked about with 1 Thessalonians, while all these things, faith, love, and perseverance, come from God, what he uses to grow all of these, even to a, a degree that's beyond normal, is the allowance of trials in our lives. That's what he uses. Why? Why does he use trials to grow all these things in us? Well, let me ask you this. When we go through trials, do we feel sure do we feel confident in ourselves when we're going through trials? Do we, think, do we think to ourselves, I got this. I got this on my own. I feel sure about myself. I feel confident about myself. I can do this. Do we feel like we can take on the world in the midst of trials? No. <laughs> None of that. And quite oppositely of that. Can I get an amen to that? We feel weak. We feel disillusioned. We feel shaken. And that's the entire point. When we are shaken and the confidence in ourselves is put into question, we come to a crossroads. We can either doubt God 
or doubt ourselves. Those are the only two options when we come to that crossroads. Do I go down the path where I doubt God or do I go down the path where I doubt myself? When the focus remains on ourselves, we doubt God. Can't have it both ways. We say, a good God would not allow this to happen to me. Therefore, I doubt him, his goodness. And in some cases, when trials come into our lives, we doubt God and we doubt his very existence. But when we place the focus on God, we doubt ourselves, and that's the very best place to be in. Well, let me explain. When we know we don't have the strength to go on, the faith to believe, the love to keep loving, we are forced to rely on God's strength, God's growth of faith in us, and God's love to keep us going. God knows that his strength, gift of faith, and love are the only ways to be made complete, grow, and to become more and more like followers of Jesus. Because of that, he allows us to go through different situations that bring that realization to the forefront of our minds over and over and over again. When we believe with God's power of faith, and resolve and love with God's love, we are forged into being the people of power that God wants us to be. Trials are not God's way of telling us He doesn't like us. Trials are not God's way of telling us He doesn't care about us. Trials are God's way of showing us He loves us by redeeming them as catalysts for growth in every area of our lives. God does not want us to feel powerless, but our power must come through his infusion of it into our lives. And that only happens when we give up any concept of us manufacturing it in, our, in ourselves. Trials strip us of that confidence in ourselves. And trials lay bare the truth that any of this cannot come from us and our own human limitations. Faith, perseverance in that faith, and the love out of that faith can only be grown in us by God. As we dig in in the midst of trials and give up more and more of ourselves and doubt more and more of ourselves and relinquish more and more of our pride or any confidence in ourselves, then and only then will we too experience the full power of faith growth, perseverance in that faith and love that goes beyond anything we can imagine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and your truth that is relevant to every person, every situation, and every time period. We thank you that you are the God of truth, that you Find us where you find us and you don't leave us there. But you use trials in our lives to make us more and more like you. To strip away more and more confidence in ourselves and to give to us more of your power, more of your faith, more of your love, more of your perseverance. So Lord, I pray that we would, as the Thessalonians did, dig in, take root in that truth in who you are 
and allow you to grow us beyond anything anybody can expect. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.